Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass effect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecules, spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gain, ink, wait, I'm every element around. Welcome to Spark Science. I'm Regina Barber-DeGraff. I'm an educator, pop culture enthusiast, lover of photonics, even though I don't know what it totally is, but I know I use it. And I'm here with my co-host, Jordan Baker, who just came back from a vacation. How are you doing? Uh, I'm excellent. I was just uh, out in Cabo, San Lucas, Yeah. which is a little ways away from San Jose del Cabo. Really? Yeah. That's so awesome. You can get them mixed up. Okay. So that was... I got lost on the road a couple of times. Right. So you are an improv entertainer, butcher, lover of music? Yeah. All of that is true? Yep. Do you know what photonics is? Uh, isn't that like hieroglyphics? It's not. Oh. So what, <laughs> the, the purpose of today's show is to um, find out what it is, how it benefits our life, and also about Bellingham's involvement with photonics and SPIE and what that is. And we're here joined today with, by our guest, uh, Dr. Eugene Arthurs. Welcome. Thank you. And you are the CEO of SBIE. First of all, what does SBIE stand for? We can't tell anybody that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> and, and also about photonics before we go into your life. We're going to talk about that too. Well, photonics is the science and technology of anything to do with photons. So almost everything now. Radio waves, light waves, x-rays, yeah. and so on. It's a very, very uh, broad science. Yeah. And our society, which is about uh, 19,000 members, uh, is almost as big as the American Physical Society. Really? Yes. Wow. And what about the, the age of each society? Are you, which one's older? We're probably a bit younger, I would yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. but Just a little. I think though. it's an interesting question you ask about societies. What's their future? because I think most of the scientific societies are populated at the top level by people even older than me, if you can imagine that, Regina. I, I can't. Earlier on, you, earlier on you said... I can't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're very young. Earlier on you said uh, at the turn of the century... And I did. ...how uh, you'd started teaching, and I felt like a dinosaur. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but then, as somebody said, the dinosaurs ruled the Earth for a very long time. So it's true. So you have power in that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I say that I went to Western Washington University at the turn of the century because I find that funny, but um, the 18-year-olds don't, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, yes, you did. But you're right. When I was, gr <laughs> when I was growing up, turn of the century meant 1900, not 2000. Yes. <laughs> so t tell me your best description of what, where did the term SBIE or those letters, where did those come from at the very start of the, the society? Well, more than 60 years ago, uh, it was the time when rockets were being tested. We had imported a lot of the German rocket experts and kept them in the desert down in uh, New Mexico and the aerospace industry was in Southern California. And as in all sort of uh, science and technology, things were progressing by failures and so on. Right. And somebody figured out that maybe if they could photograph the rockets in flight, 
they could actually f- learn more about what was going on. Cool. It would provide more information than going out and finding the debris field. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, people have this vision that all of a sudden we made rockets fly and we knew all about them, but it took a long, long time and a lot of uh, rockets hitting the Earth where they weren't supposed to. Just like SpaceX now. Or North Korea. Or yeah, whatever, okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They don't get our podcast. <laughs> I, I, they probably do. <laughs> but uh, so there were some engineers in the area who were into optics and things like that who were given this task. Now, with all we know today and with all electronic imaging and things like that, it sounds like a fairly simple task. But you've got to go back 60 plus years and think about what cameras were like then and what high-speed cameras were like. Right. And actually, uh, so they had to design these cameras that pulled rolls of film through very quickly. Right. And very precisely. Wouldn't they catch on fire then? No, they managed to do it without catching them on fire as far as we know. Okay. So uh, (laughs) they really looked around for some body where some organization where they could be part of and learn which is really what uh, scientific societies are about, learning from others. And apparently no one would have them. Well, so well, you mean like APS wouldn't have them? Like the no, ca- this was, they were, they were too engineering for APS. Ah. Mm-hmm. ABS? APS. A- APS. APS. So Association. The American Physical American, Society. Yeah. Totally oh, wrong. Oh, all right. <laughs> I, I was part of it at one point. <laughs> oh. American Physical Good Society, yeah. A... So they started their own organization. Okay. The Society of Photographic Instrumentation Engineers. Ah. And they actually had some ties with Hollywood back then. And uh, it's not a place that cameras were all that interesting. Right. So they used to, they started their own society. They used to meet in somebody's house and that was really half a dozen of them and then a dozen. And eventually, about a year or two later, they started to have a conference, as we would call it. Right. Where people would come in and they would talk about the problems that they were experiencing. Okay. And uh, it actually moved, the very precise cameras and films were rather important also for aerial reconnaissance. Oh. (laughs) So a lot of the people who got into the society early on joined companies like iTech in Massachusetts, now long gone. Okay and provided the camera systems that went up on the U-2 and the first ones that went up on satellites. Wow. So... So you had like a very, well, I was going to say military association with SPIE, but uh, they were private companies too, though, right? Oh, yeah, these were, uh, yeah, yeah, and it was a, they were to some extent military companies, but I think people in the U.S. don't realize how much actually science is funded by the Department of Defense. If you're in science, you know, because that's where the money comes from. (laughs) A lot of the devices we take for granted, including the wonderful internet, came from Department of Defense funding. And uh, a lot of medicine, modern medicine, comes from defense funding. So I know some people have difficulties with this, but that's how it worked in the United States. Uh, So uh, the initial the initial pictures that were taken, say, of Cuba, for example, that were taken from either satellites or high-flying aircraft, 
the ones from satellite, they were all taken on film. Well, yeah. So these satellites, all the, the very precise mechanics, they had to eject the canister of film. Really? From the satellite. What? So it came down through the atmosphere and was caught by special planes with big gay basket-type wings. What? Yes. <laughs> Wait, and this is all in the New Mexico desert? Oh, no, this is moved from the New Mexico desert to the satellites are up there going around the yeah. earth, flying over places like Cuba where there are uh, odd things going on, perhaps back in the early 60s. Huh. And in the air, there's just basket planes. Yes. Yeah. This oh. sounds so, like, cartoonish. This sounds so <laughs> crazy, but it really happened. It really happened, and, I mean, I think a lot of the technology of uh, moving film and things like that helped the Hollywood type of thing as well. So uh, right. the original logo for SPIE actually was made up of a film sprocket. Oh. Wow. But you can imagine that <laughs> they, there was some pressure to get away from this model. Yeah. So between the people who wanted to get pictures f from space and the picture, people who wanted to get pictures of space, there was a big push towards electronic imaging. Right. That we all take for granted now as we carry very sophisticated ones around in our little phones. We all have a connection to space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking with Dr. Eugene Arthurs about photonics. And we were just talking about how you first discovered lasers, right? Yes. Yeah. Like he didn't discover it. He did. I did not discover it. <laughs> I did not discover it. That's another whole question. And it's difficult, but the first laser was operated by Ted Mammon in 1960. Uh, this is a good segue. This is my, my error gets right. into the segue. So, yes, 1960. And... Uh, there's a lot of dispute over actually where the ideas came from, but that seems to be science in general. Right. And then somebody gets the Nobel Prize. Not necessarily the truth, but it settles it. <laughs> right. <laughs> For Wikipedia's sake. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, going back to the days of the dinosaurs, yeah. I have a picture here actually that Ooh. you would be interested in. I, yeah. Which is in black and white because such was the pictures in those days. <laughs> 1969. Oh, you had horns then. Yeah. This is... Our laser group in Belfast, which was one of the <gasps> biggest laser groups in Europe at the time. Oh, awesome. You guys won. But what you will notice about this picture is everybody's wearing a shirt and tie. Yes. Just like the labs today. Yeah. And Sarcasm. <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> there are no females. No. None whatsoever in no. this group of 70 or so Physicists and support people. I think there's a couple of non-Irish people, but... There are a few non-Irish people, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no women. It's remarkably homogeneous. No women. <laughs> <It's really laughs> yeah, for our listeners, we'll take a picture of this and post it on our Instagram. Uh, and today, people can't really... Women in particular find this insulting, but I can't go back and change history. No. I don't think you controlled it either. <laughs> No, actually, the following year, 
To the shock and horror of a lot of the administrators, a woman did join the group. And she brought, bought a tie and shirt, yeah. probably. And now <laughs> I would think a, we have a maybe up to 20%, close to 20% women who are members of SPIE. Which is pretty good. I think 20% is uh, the, the average for physics. Yeah. Yeah. A, but a lot of them are coming into a, what is for us an increasingly dominant area, the biomedical side of photonics. Right. This medical imaging meeting really advanced x-ray technology, as I said, from a, first of all, what's desirable there. They don't want you getting a big dose of x-rays. Right. So people today get an x-ray image taken with much less exposure to x-rays and the image is now digital, di on a digital imager. So instead of having this big sheet of film that they hang up, you've got a digital imager on a screen. And some of the interesting challenges are around automatically, without using people at all, picking out lesions or whatever are on that image. Right. Which of course radiologists don't particularly like. But also the ability to digitize images and send them over the internet has already hurt the radiologists of the US because some of the images that you are, are taken of you now in the hospital are read in India, right. for example, and the results sent back so that you can have them the next day. Right. But that's one t more traditional, we're all familiar, I think, with the various imaging modalities. A, but also the use of light in medicine is rather important. When you uh, go in and give us blood or something like that, or a sample of whatever, it is usually light that is used to analyze that in a device called a spectrophotometer that you're right. probably very familiar yeah. with. <laughs> I was like, I know where this is going. <laughs> Excellent. But they, uh, <laughs> Increasingly now, people are using light without having to take a sample and send it off to a lab. They can actually increasingly use light in the clinic itself to do diagnosis, increasingly sensitive diagnosis. And the entire genome, genomics, which is revolutionizing medicine, is based on light if you took one of the machines that actually read your genome, which allows the physician to customize the treatment for you, inside that box is full of lasers and little light detectors and so on. So light is everywhere. It pervades yeah. a medicine particularly. Okay. A one of the pioneers of our society who led actually us into biomedical to some extent was a Britain Chance who uh, died about a year or two ago at the age of 100. He was still uh, doing research. Wow. A, one of the interesting research studies that he did was using infrared light to enter the brain without having to take the top off or anything like right. that. <laughs> It that was through. a graphic. He did, yeah. a head, he did a head slicing <laughs> motion on the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> if only we had video. It went, uh, passes through the skull, and he could tell by the signals received back the brain activity. 
So this was being, and it will be applied more and more to a whole lot of things, such as our children are learning. He did some experiments with that, and you can improve learning, actually, and it's, it's, since it's not damaging radiation anyway, infrared. Right. It, uh, it's fine to use, use it a lot. Wow. Uh, but also, some people are interested in using it in airports and things like that. Right. So that they can tell the tension level of someone I can just without them even knowing they're being probed. I can just imagine probed. where this is going. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is scary. Well, what if there's uh, just nervous people out there? Uh, you, you mentioned airports. And yeah. you, the x-ray machine that they have now that you were talking about earlier, do they, um, does that go somewhere else, like in India, and then it's red? Or is there somebody there on site? No, no, on site. They've got to read that in real time. I mean, that's something that they can't be, oh, we let the guy through yesterday and he was carrying it all away. That's real time results. Okay. And there's x-rays, which are, x-rays have got their drawback in that your exposure should be limited to x-rays, your cumulative exposure. Right. But there's long wave systems as well that are used and you stand and you hold your hands up and all that stuff that is not damaging radiation. So, uh, okay. That's a good question. But for these gentlemen, in uh, you said they were in Hinshu, right? Yes. That is actually where something that our society has been very active in, lithography, which is the way to print computer chips. In their city is the most advanced plant in the world (laughs) for printing computer chips. Oh. And they all use light to do that. Laser laser light, actually. Wow. My master's thesis was about polymers and lithography. Okay. Lithography. I don't think it actually was. It was, (laughs) actually. You can't even um, say it. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it was was computationally modeling thin film polymers and etching things in there Mm -hmm. and talking about the glass transition. So you bring it to a certain temperature and it no longer is hard and you can't write in it anymore. So... So. Well, the dentists are very interested in that because you see them using light for just that hardening polymers, right? Cross-linking of polymers with light is used everywhere. It's used on your magazine covers. It's used on a lot of floor flooring, floor tiles. Right. Uh, and, as, I mean, the dentist is a small example of where they put something on your te- a polymer on your teeth and then they harden it with a little UV yep. thing. That's awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about how did student chapters come about before we talk to our lovely guests that we, we called into uh, Taiwan and they're going to talk to us. But um, before we talk about that, I want to talk about how did they get started, these student chapters? That's before my time. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, interestingly, probably for these gentlemen too, but the idea of chapters of anything is a U.S. cultural idea. Is it? Yes. <laughs> so. I had no idea. When we try to explain that to our academic members in Asia, mm-hmm. they said, what are you talking about? Uh, 
Um, how first of all, how many chapters um, do you, does SPIE have? We now have about three hundred student chapters. And and are they in on every continent? Not Antarctica. I don't think we've got one there yet. Well, penguins are slow. Yes, so. we're still waiting. But before student <laughs> chapters, we actually had local chapters. We don't have them anymore. Yeah. But pre-internet, they were very useful gatherings of people in various cities. I was actually the uh, a <laughs> president of a, of a local chapter in Connecticut where people would gather once a month or something like that, interested in various aspects of optical technology, and we'd have a speaker in. And the, but and that might be the only place you would actually pick up specialist knowledge or at a society meeting. But then along came the internet, and their value went down. But uh, out of that, I think, came student chapters. Right. To really uh, help the students interact, and the society brings in maybe two two hundred plus student chapter leaders each year to our meeting in San Diego. Okay. For many of them, this is their first time ever in the United States, and their first time at a meeting, a scientific meeting, and it's really quite heartening to see the people from Ukraine interact with the people from Taiwan or and learn about each other and you know and a I think scientific meetings the value of them is somewhat underrated in the days of the internet but uh, in my own case my supervisor and one of the questions was about how you really decide on your career you choose your supervisor yeah absolutely and you choose a supervisor who's got your interest at heart, not just publishing, using you to publish papers. Sorry if any of the academics will be offended by this, but uh, my supervisor, and I was talking actually to a former colleague of 40-something years ago, insisted that we go to conferences. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful experience, I think, for young scientists and a wonderful opportunity. Right. And I would try, if I was starting over again, I would ensure I got a supervisor like that mm-hmm. who was really at a record of sending his students or her students right. to conferences and have them present the work and have them give them that opportunity. Yeah. So with that, because I agree with everything we you just said. And it, it builds their confidence. It helps them network. I think that kind of stuff should be focused on also with how good your science is. We're obviously not in politics today, right? Yeah. Some of us are. <laughs> we don't even know it. And science people can always use help with their social skills. Right? That's right. <laughs> yes. 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 It's true. We should focus on it. So um, yeah. we have called in to um, students at the SBIE chapter in um, I'm going to try to say it like my mom says Shinshu. it. My Shinshu. Well, Shinju yes. is how, is that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> my mom, my mom corrected me like 20 times. So, um, yes, like I'm sorry. I said Hinshu and that's yeah. a, because of the way it's spelt, right? Yeah. She's like, in what? the West. Yeah. She's like, what H? There's no, no H there. No H. <laughs> um, so yeah, Shinju. 
I, I'm not going to try again. Um, <laughs> but I, I went to go visit um, uh, the student chapter in Taiwan, and they invited me to do a talk, and they're wonderful students, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, um, their name, and um, their major. And then I will let whatever order you would all like to ask your questions, you can decide. And um, you can ask your questions, and Dr. Arthurs will hopefully be able to answer them. <laughs> oh, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, okay, let's start from me. Okay, I am Porju, Porju Chen. Yes, I am a research assistant in Liquid Crystal Lab. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm also the secretary of our student chapter. Thank yeah. you for doing it's, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, what you are talking about uh, to choose a right supervisor to that are willing to send the student to conference is a pretty uh, great, uh, great idea. Yeah, our supervisor do, does that too to us. Yeah, and um, uh, so okay. Um, question: I I'm wondering about. Um, can you tell us about the challenges and uh, challenges in the photonics and optics in the next 10 to 20 years? Hey, I think actually I would use opportunities for optics and photonics because oh, okay. uh, you're at a very good time actually to be in the, entering the field. I was with the uh, president of the Max Planck Society about a week ago. And he said that if he was starting his career, he also was of my generation. He said if he was starting his career now in science, he would go into photonics because there is so much obvious opportunity. The, yeah, uh, I call it the rise of the boson. Fermions, which underpin the last century, the electrons, electronics, are running into rather serious limits. Yeah. And I think photons will help get around a good number of those limits in communication and computing and so on. Uh, I don't think we know exactly how yet, but yeah. uh, you will be part of answering that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm especially interested about the optical computer. Yes. Can you? more about the optical computer mm -hmm. yes. since the uh, more slow is like uh, there's a the uh, whole concept of optical computing is somewhat a uh, controversial yeah there are some who take the very strong position that optical computing will never happen <laughs> I do not believe that and I would yeah. remind them that Lord Kelvin the famous physicist who actually spent some time in my university in Belfast when he was uh, active in research in physics, is well no is known to have said heavier than air machines are not will never fly. And you can spend a lot of time actually mocking predictions of people who said things would not happen. Yeah. Optical computing I believe will happen. Will it be some of the uh, techniques that are, will it emerge from silicon photonics? I don't know. Will it emerge from uh, some of the liquid crystal STMs or something like that? Perhaps. There's a company in the UK working in that direction to do it. Uh, I don't think we'll see it in the next decade. 
but I also don't think it will be like a they joke about fusion fusion we will have fusion in 50 years oh they were yes. saying that when I joined the university almost 50 years ago <laughs> and they're saying it today yeah I don't think that's true of optical computing I think you're talking about maybe 20 25 years okay yeah. hey and I think it's going to be necessary because the electron Moore's law is really grinding to its a halt it shouldn't be called Moore's law it was somebody's back of the envelope Gordon Moore's back of the envelope can we elaborate on what Moore's law is for our, for our listeners a Gordon Moore way back in the 60s who was with Intel one of the co-founders of Intel a on the back of an envelope at some meeting predicted that the number of transistors on a computer on a chip would double every year which did for a while and then every 18 months and that the cost would come down by a factor of two a year and having that as sort of a guideline really drove the semiconductor industry to do absolutely unthinkable things I mean I don't know the number of people when I actually come over to a a company in the United States called Quantronics which none of you have ever heard of we were in the semiconductor business doing a little bit of lithography and the CEO said optical lithography is dead this is 1980 and he was not alone in that a lot of people thought optical lithography was finished but that community in the 35 36 years since has really done what people then could not even imagine yeah but fundamentally now we're running into a limitations because of the electrons being used so Moore's law Intel has slowed on Moore's law and uh, they were really one of the big drivers as is TSMC and Shinshu yeah. Yeah. and Samsung yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the three. yeah. Uh, and Samsung they're actually it's so expensive now that those three names are really the big the only players driving it the semiconductor industry 20 30 years ago had many many players many companies and since since that and with the progress in technology it has become so expensive that there's only about three players really of any significance left Intel, Samsung, Shinshu and and TSMC and Shinshu so uh, cool but there will be I'm sure as optical computing develops there will be a whole new different companies of all sizes for a while until perhaps 50 years from now that too will be consolidating into a few major players yeah okay we were working you on say optical things. computing by the way other people are talking about quantum computing of different kinds some yeah, people yeah. are thinking that beyond silicon you will not you will actually have bio computers bio computer yes oh. wow that's crazy DNA, <laughs> DNA based computing so uh, I know nothing about any any bio- biology computer but I've never heard I of think that. I really yeah. no. do believe oh. that a uh, photonics 
with its breadth, offers many, many career opportunities. Yes. Yes. Yeah, waiting for us to create. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
So everything is seen through a particular a Prism. cultural a <laughs> constraint. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think also one of the striking lessons was light poverty. Mm-hmm. Light poverty. What's it? Light poverty. Light poverty. We are here in the West and our astronomy community are very, very upset that there is too much light at night. And they wanted the International Year of Light to be about dark skies. Because of light pollution. Because of light pollution. Yeah. And if you look actually at the composite map of the Earth at night put together by some NASA scientists, you actually see not just a map of light, but you see an economic map of the world. And it is really, in a way, a shame on us as humans that today, when those of us in some countries are so profligate in the use of light and other resources, and there's more than a billion people in the world who have no light, many of them using kerosene lamps today, which are dangerous. Yeah. Uh, not just because they topple over and start fires, there's a lot of deaths in that, but having <laughs> a kerosene lamp inside a dwelling is really quite unhealthy. But it's the only form of lighting that almost a billion people have. In this day when we have solar energy and LEDs that really, they all should have at minimal cost today. But still, you, the, you see the children in these homes who are grouped around a little kerosene lamp to try and study. And yeah. that's really their way for a fu- to the future to study and be educated. And they can only use that lamp for a short time. And their health is suffering. They don't know it, but that's the reality. That, I think, yes. there was a lot of focus on that for the first time during the International Year of Light. It has sort of gone unnoticed. And the fact that the International Year of Light was global brought up, I think, things like that throughout the world. Plus a lot of celebration of yes. light as well and its various applications throughout the world. That was a very positive thing. And I think uh, many of the people working in light for the first time began to have a sense of they were part of a huge enterprise that was making the world better for people. Uh, Howard John and I was studying in the nanophotonics, plasmonic, mm-hmm. and uh, metamaterials. Yes, and uh, uh, I would like to ask, and uh, I hope, uh, what can SPIE do more? These foundations will be can not only in the uh, researching public um, publications or maybe some maybe con- collaborations, maybe with the government, or can maybe uh, have some. 
any other else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm very wonder that. Yeah, um, yeah. What can we do more? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think a one of the questions that came across in a, in advance was about a science and politics and sort of trying to understand why SPIE had any role in politics. Well, the funding of science in many countries, including the United States, is determined by people in government. So certainly that's especially true for basic science. And it comes out of something called the discretionary part of our national budget. The U.S. national budget is about $4 trillion. Part of that is discretionary. And science funding comes out of that. The other bigger part of the budget is called mandatory, which involves Medicare, Social Security, and so on. Now, this is not just the United States. It is many countries. And perhaps yes. Japan actually is in more advanced in this than we are. But the economics and the budget of the countries historically have been built on having a lot of young people and not so many old people. Well, uh oh, uh oh, is right. <laughs> so, with the increasing number of old people, which of course one must realize is in part because of the success of science, a the discretionary budget in the U.S. is really being squeezed and is going to be smaller and smaller because more and more of the national budget is going to go to older people. Oh, oh, oh. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a problem for SBIE, right? It's not, it's, I'm not saying it's a problem for SBI particularly. I think it's a problem for the, wor for the developed world. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if science funding is coming out of that, then a, it's going to get squeezed. So yeah. the societies... SPI and many others yeah. are actually trying to get much better at presenting a case for science. And science has changed the world and will continue to be very, very important to the world. But yes. politicians get much more attention from the beer distributors. That's an example that is constantly used for me when I go to DC. They tell me, the beer distributors are here every day wanting <laughs> legislation in their favor and so on. The scientists, we never see them. Mm -hmm. yeah, right. And if you dig a little deeper, then they say whenever the scientists come, we don't understand what the heck they're talking about. <laughs> so we don't really want to see them. Okay. But... The societies, I think, in SPIE is really trying to uh, improve its communication by scientists of the value of science. Uh, and to try and actually remove the disrespect that the scientific community has for politicians. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going, I think politicians also have some sort of disrespect or something for scientists in a different way i think it's fear fear whatever it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but 
uh, they don't understand us and we sometimes I think make them feel a little undereducated they have skills they're in the political world political skills are different require different attributes yeah. but we need to learn to communicate the value of science the value of photonics yes. to the yes. world and to the future of humanity so that funding will continue yeah. it's, so it's I think this is a this is a the reason of the spark radio spark radio yes the, thank you yeah, very important very important yeah. and um, actually I did a talk over in uh, Shinzu and and I did a talk on science communication which they were at so they've heard this before yeah yes, yes. they're like yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we are improving our skills on communicating <laughs> I want to thank yeah. you for asking Dr. Arthur's questions and giving me the questions ahead of time and letting us call you early in the morning. Yeah, yeah no problem. No, it's not so early. <laughs> like to, it's okay. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not so hard. Yeah. Um, it's also a pleasure to talk with Dr. Yujin. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and we're just going to end the show like we end every show, talking about how the topic we're talking about today is how it's portrayed in pop culture. And I'm going to let... Um, our wonderful friends in Taiwan listen and, and add on to that discussion with their pop culture interests as well. Welcome back to Spark Science. This is Jordan, and uh, I have Regina next to me, and I yep. also have on the other side of me, Eugene Arthurs. Dr. Eugene Arthurs. Uh, mm -hmm. President, is that a CEO? Of CEO. Spark? CEO, right. Yes. Yes, he very sternly said that <laughs> towards me. That's because of the structure of societies. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Societies yeah. have got a staff, the CEO, they, and they have elected volunteers who have real jobs. <laughs> And the chief elected volunteer is called the president. Mm. So if I were president, I'd be gone a year from now, right? Ah, uh, right, yeah. So you'll be here and I don't want to be gone a year from now, right? <laughs> so um, we always end every show of Spark Science with talking about relating the science we're talking about to what people can understand and what I love, pop culture. So mm -hmm. um, Dr. Arthurs, when you think of photonics and you think of pop culture, where do those mesh in your mind? Well, I'm a big science fiction person, and actually that might have been quite influential in my science. Your Asimov, love of lasers. Oh, I Dr. love Asimov. Who. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Star Trek, which is 50 years old this week, right? Oh, I love this. That. Or this. <laughs> so Jordan, oh, my, yeah, my, my wonderful childhood friend. <laughs> doesn't hate Star Trek. He just keeps on hearing it over yeah. and over and over again. Star Wars, never seen it. Star Trek, Well, you know, care. Star Wars with the lightsabers is really... And I can't figure out how they work yet. But right. They, They're light. People want us to make them. Yeah. And Good. you should. <laughs> and I think... I, I don't quite know what phasers are, but there's something there. There's something to do with... Right. Yes. The phasers and phasers Star Trek. Phasers to stun, right, and phasers to something, right? To kill. It's the whole and gambit. 
yeah. the whole cloaking thing actually is now part of yes. a lot of our conferences. Yes. Metamaterials, you're in metamaterials in Taiwan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you work on cloaking? So you're working on cloaking? Cloaking. Like, uh, actually, I, I, yeah, uh, no, uh, I, I know it and I want to try to do something special, but uh, actually, I cannot um, really get a new idea how to broaden the working reverence. Yes, I think um, it's still challenging. Yeah, but that terminology obviously came from science fiction. So, it did. Yeah, <laughs> making things disappear with light. Yes, and I think metamaterials is going to change light enormously. I think uh, we think of a lens today as a little half sphere of glass or something like that. The lens of the future is going to be an electronic disc of some kind or other that uh, will be a lot lighter and uh, will change optics dramatically too. Electronic yeah. disco? <laughs> well, we've been through the whole disc. The whole disc, <laughs> you talk about pop culture, the whole of CVD, CDs, DVDs, oh all my laser God. Laser disc, yeah, yeah. who wins the... Yeah. Yeah. But now they're so high. Now we've got to Blue move Ray. on to holographic storage and things like that. Yeah. So you've got also the holograms. Don't forget yes. in the original Star Wars, what was it? Uh, yes, Princess Leia or something. Like yeah, that? Princess sure. Leia. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so holography appears in a lot of increasingly now in uh, movies. It does. Uh, I think I actually saw a video now where they do video conferencing, uh, but you have like a. a there's well, a bunch of cameras. Well, virtual around. reality is virtual reality is an, a thing that's, that's coming that I think I'm too yeah. old for. Right, but these guys are all getting excited now. They're just nodding. Reality. Yeah. Also, yeah. <laughs> reality. As yeah. long as you have eyes and actually probably, um, you know, brain activity, I'm sure you're not too old for um, virtual reality. Well, it just there's, hooks a right up. there's a whole lot we're learning actually about uh, the eyes and the brain. That uh, and the simplest thing used to be in some actually video displays some a percentage of the population would get fits yeah yes from yeah. some of that yeah the whole thing now about uh, virtual reality is quite complicated and uh, how to keep people enjoying it without feeling nauseous and things like yes. that you know it's there's a lot of interesting stuff coming so actually somebody yeah. just talked to me about that and how they need some sort of reference point. If you have the goggles on, that there's gonna be some virtual reality, but you also need to see the room you're in, otherwise you'll get nauseous. Yes. Yeah. It's really interesting technology. And yes. we're also learning more about uh, light and how it affects the human cycles. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we discovered that actually there were three sensors in the eye, not just rods and cones, but another one. Magic. No. And <laughs> in the most recent Apple launch of the product, they actually have software in it that deals with something that is becoming more and more uh, interesting. The light effect on your life and your sleep and your oh, health. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yes. changing the spectrum, actually, the latest iPad, whatever it is, Pro, has got the software in there to change the color of the screen before you go to sleep. Oh. Yeah, yeah I heard about that. Yeah. It's like the blue lights. Blue lights, yes, because blue lights blue. at night are very bad. And yes. not just, it's not just, we're not just talking about your sleep and your dreams, but it affects your health. And even the uh, cancer people have found a link. What? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. There's a lot more to, a lot more to learn about light and uh, our, our lives, actually, and the impact of light on us. It's amazing. Mm. I mean, you got you got things like in this part of the world here, we have a good number of people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder. Oh yes, in Bellingham. In yes. Bellingham, <laughs> yeah. so they have got special lights to try and uh, yep get them through the winters here. I have one Happy of those light. lights in my <laughs> yes. house. But uh, <laughs> the latest, the lighting we've been living with that goes back to Edison and people before him, actually, not just Edison. Uh, sort of like a mm -hmm. fixed spectrum, fixed colors. Right. With LED lighting now, you can actually have smart lighting that will uh, ch should change throughout the day to stimulate you in various ways. We're living in the future. It's really, uh, I mean, Philips have got a lab that I visited some years ago. And mm -hmm. you walk in and see the lighting developed for an office that is supposed to keep people alert and working mm -hmm. hard. And the light that's developed for the grocery store that Ooh. shows things. And actually, they figure out what will make you buy stuff. Right. By the way it's lit. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and casinos have figured out what yes. makes you. Ga yes. Yeah. How do you, yeah. Yeah, how to keep on gambling. The impact of light on people is really little understood. There's a huge scope for uh, work there by young people like yeah. yourself. So get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> is, get to it. <laughs> so is there anything you would like to add um, to our pop culture discussion? Oh, yeah. Uh, One of you guys brought up the Big Bang Theory. One of you is a Big Bang Theory person, right? Who's that? Yeah, me. <laughs> me. I am. Poju. Yes. I also, watch, I also watch it. If you'd yeah. watched yeah. very carefully, you would have seen on one episode several SPI posters. <gasps> what? Really? really? Yes, really. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm disappointed that you didn't bring that to my attention. Oh, really? Looks like a sponsor. Yeah, did no, you no, we did. they asked actually, they came and asked their scientific advisor from Caltech, I think, advised them to go and get some SPI posters. They look geeky enough for the at show. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a slap in the face. <laughs> no, geek pride. They looked geeky geek enough. Geek pride. Geek pride. It's what we're about here, right? <laughs> yes, that is very true. That's what this show is about, is geek pride. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and Jordan, I'm going to bring you over. All right. We're, we're going to end on that because that's amazing. Um, and I want to thank um, Poju and um, Mike. Is that what you said? Mike? Yeah. Mike? Yes. And yes. Um, I'm going to look at the... Howard. Um, Howard. Uh, Kai How? How what? Howard. 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 <laughs> I would like to yeah, thank yeah. all of you for call, um, for letting us call you and uh, and asking wonderful questions. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah no thank problem. you guys. Yes. How precious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thank you, uh, Dr. Arthurs. This has been really enlightening. Pun intended. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> thank you, Doctor. Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us. We just spoke with Dr. Arthur, CEO of SBIE, about photonics. This show is entirely volunteer run, and if you want to help us out, click on the donate button. If there's a science idea that you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. Today's episode was produced in the KMRE Spark Radio Studios, located in the Spark Museum on Bay Street in Bellingham. 
Our producers and engineers are Eric Faburetta and Nathan Miller. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. Wanna wrap your thing? Iodine, nitrate, activate. Red uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They could explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.